Hey, good morning, everyone. So we had an interesting Thanksgiving at the Gerace household. Uh, everyone was coming over our house for Thanksgiving, and two days before Thanksgiving, our refrigerator just decided to quit. So that was fun. So I uh, tried to call a repair person. They can't come for another five months. So I uh, looked it up, and I watched some YouTube videos, and I have to tell you this morning, I fixed a refrigerator. So, just saying. It was the uh, EVAP fan. Just saying. So, it's back, it's in order, but uh, I'm glad it was cool because we had everything in the um, uh, garage besides some mice and some raccoons. We did pretty good. So, I trust yours was a little bit better, but we had a great Thanksgiving, and it's so good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Those of you who are watching online, we're so glad to have you this morning. We are finishing our series in the book of First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 6 today, and uh, next week we're going to start a new series called Why the Birth of Jesus Matters. So listen, if, if you know someone or a family member or a friend that really is um, searching and wondering why Christmas and why Jesus and why this is important, these uh, topics are going to be great. And we're going to just dive into why the birth of Jesus is so incredible and why it changes everything. So we'll be diving in that for the month of December. Very excited about that. And so uh, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, just to just to jump in here to... First Timothy chapter six, and what we're going to be, what we've kind of, what we've been looking at as the overview of First Timothy is really Paul, the Apostle Paul's writing to Timothy. Uh, Timothy was overseeing the church in Ephesus, and there were some issues there with some false teaching, some false doctrine that began to infiltrate the church. And Paul's encouraging Timothy on what it means to live a godly life. And so what we've done is we've looked into this letter of 1 Timothy and discovered what it truly means to live a life of godliness in Christ. And what Paul is going to do in the end of the, the book here, the end of his letter, is really show Timothy this is what it means to be godly. Some of these false teachers are chasing after things that will cause the church to be splintered and cause people to chase after things that cannot truly bring fulfillment in their life. And so we're going to look at contentment today and how Paul attaches contentment with godliness. And so I love this, I love this chapter here, and I want to just look at these nuggets of how we can grow in godliness. So we're going to, if you've got your Bibles or look at your tablets, you've got your phones, your tablets, your devices, your laptops, whatever you got, you can look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 or look up at the screens here. And we're going to look at this insight that Paul will give Timothy from the Holy Spirit on avoiding the trap of becoming self-serving and truly what it means to be content in Christ. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 10. And listen to what Paul says here. He says, Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. A godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicion. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment 
is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can take and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Amen. Isn't that true? That is just truth right there. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into a temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Can we say an amen to God's word this morning? May it teach us in all ways. Here we see Paul's warning to Timothy about those who were pursuing the wrong Things And they were pursuing wealth in the form of this godliness. Now, I'm, I'm a product of the 80s. How many of you, you grew up through the 80s? You were a teenager through the 80s. Okay, four of you? Come on. Okay, so anyways, okay, good. I see some 80s people out there. And what was interesting about the 80s, about the decade of the 80s, there was this emphasis on status. And the, we got the word yuppie in the 80s, which means young urban professionals working on Wall Street, People were dressing preppy in the 80s. You wore your collars up, you wore docksiders, and you had penny loafers with a penny in your penny loafers. And uh, I started dating my wife in the 80s. 1983 is when I started dating Kathleen. And there was a little differences in our fashion choices. Um, I was a jeans, T-shirt, and a hoodie guy when I liked Kathleen, and Kathleen was more preppy. She had the docksiders, she had the penny loafers, she wore a collar up. I kind of liked the way she looked. So I said, uh, let's say as I began to like Kathleen, my fashion choices changed very quickly. So I began to wear docksiders and got a more of the preppy look. And I think it worked out okay for me because I'm married to Kathleen now. So single guys out there, you may need to change your fashion choices, okay? Just saying, just do it. It worked out well for me. But if you, if you see the 80s, the 80s were just excess. The movies, Wall Street, all was about success and finance. And uh, everything was about the outward appearance. Uh, you had to have the right status symbols, wear the right clothes. If you didn't have a pair of Jordan jeans, you just were not in. You had to drive the certain car. Now, we didn't have that problem in our family. We, our family drove a two-door Chevy Chevette. And I love that car. Rear-wheel drive, and you could do donuts in the winter. That was an awesome car. But so much of it was just excess and outward. And Paul warns Timothy that some have gone down that wrong path and have allowed money to be their goal and not God. And so Paul is not calling money evil. What he's doing is he's saying that the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Now, let's get this overarching idea. The overarching idea is this. When money becomes the object of our fulfillment, we will lose our integrity. And this is what was happening. There was this means of financial gain, and, 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 and it was disguised in the form of godliness. And, and Paul's saying, no, 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 no. That, that's, that, this is leading people astray. Your contentment in God with what he has given you it is your source of godliness, resting in who Christ is and what God has done in your life. This is why Paul says that some have gone astray and they've plunged themselves into ruin because money became the object of their desires. So Paul shares with Timothy that the way to avoid the wrong path is to be content. So that's the big question. How can we find contentment? 
Because what Paul says is, he says, true godliness is actually found in contentment. So how do we not fall victim to this discontentment trap? Because, listen, it's constantly yelling at us, isn't it? When we look at our world today, we're constantly bombarded with this thing of you need more or you need this more and better improved thing. And as we go into the Christmas season, we see all the commercials and everything that's telling us, no, no, this is better. This is greater. This will make your life whole and complete and everything will be wonderful, right? This is what's shouted to us. But how do we not fall victim to that discontentment trap? I read an article and discontentment, it was really eye-opening for me. It was a, a young woman who went through college, and, and she was struggling with this contentment issue of how much is enough. And let me quote to what she was saying in the article. She says, I remember graduating college and wanting nothing more than to earn more money so I could experience more in life. I wish I had enough money to travel. I wish I had enough money to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I wanted. I wish I had enough money to feel comfortable. I never clarified or defined what enough money was. This is so insightful. She says, at times, it was just more. If I just had more. Now, this was four years ago. I earned 72% more today than when I had these first thoughts. And I still find myself thinking, I wish I had enough. The question I want to ask you this morning is, what is your enough? What is your enough? Is it, is it, is it, is it status? Is it getting something better and, and greater? What, what is your enough? Because her struggle is she never defined what her enough was. There is the trap. This is exactly what Paul is speaking to in the heart of this, of this letter, is what is enough? And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is Jesus enough? Or is there something else out there that will satisfy what I need? And how many of you know, the older you get, you chase one thing, you think that thing is going to bring you fulfillment, only to find out it has a shelf life. And then you're looking for that next thing, that next thing to bring enough into your life. Her struggle was she never defined what enough is. Paul defines what our enough is. Is. Listen to the Hebrew writer here in Hebrews 13.5. I love this. He says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God said, Never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. What a great definition of enough that God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So what is at the root of this struggle? The real struggle is not our jobs, it's not our bank account, it's not our investments. What Paul does here is he gets at the root of the problem of contentment. The root of our struggle is, is, is really a lack of trust. It, it's our, really, it's our trust in God. God, are you worthy enough to fulfill the things in my life? Jesus, are you enough in my life to not allow me to strive after these things in the world that claim that they're going to fill my desires when they don't. And they tried to sell you something that ultimately it can't deliver. And at the end of our lives, we look back, and Paul is so correct, we take nothing into this world and we take nothing out. 
But yet we think as we live in this world that something in this world is going to bring that complete satisfaction, fulfillment. And what Paul says is, listen, here's here's the bottom line. Realize that your contentment in Christ is going to help you to live this life with joy and happiness. Now, does God want to bless our lives? Absolutely. Has God blessed your life? Can I get an amen out there? Are you guys still a little bit on tryptophan? I think you guys are still in your turkey overload, right? But But that's the point that Paul is saying. True godliness with contentment. This is what God cares about, that Jesus is enough. It's interesting when we look at Paul's life, the Apostle Paul's life, it makes no sense that he could be content with the circumstances that he faced day in and day out, shipwrecked, almost left for dead in many cities. But yet he found the secret of contentment. And what he's doing is he's passing this secret of contentment on to Timothy, saying, Timothy, don't get swayed. Don't allow the love of money to sway your heart away from your contentment and who you are in Christ Jesus. And so what Jesus does is Jesus shows us that a life that is joyful and happy is a life that gives. So here's the point, and here's the key that unlocks this thing of discontentment and how we overcome discontentment in our life. The key is giving. And this is what's at the heart of the gospel message, that Jesus came to give his life for us when we least deserved it. None of us in this room deserve God's grace and mercy, yet Jesus comes and God displays his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Everything about the gospel is Jesus giving to us simply by his mercy and grace and restoring a broken relationship that was broken because of sin. And so Jesus comes and he repairs that through his death and his resurrection. And everything Jesus does for us, he pours into our lives his love, his joy, his grace. I I was doing a funeral yesterday and many of the people there, I don't know what their backgrounds are. I don't know what their faith background is. But I just said this to them simply. I said, listen, Jesus didn't come to establish another religion so that, so that we could be burdened with all the works and all the do's and don'ts. What Jesus does is he comes to do something for us that none of us could do for ourselves. Because what religion tells you to do is you've got to do this, you've got to do that in order to approach God, in order to have God accept you. What Jesus does, he comes in and does everything for us that we can't do for ourselves. And then what he desires, he desires to have a relationship with us. And so what's wonderful about having a relationship with Christ and understanding his grace and his mercy, what it does in my heart, in my mind, it says, now I get to serve Jesus. I want to come to church. Not because Jesus gave me in this headlock and said, you got to come and you got to do this and you got to do that. It's like I'm motivated now by this love for Christ and this gratitude for him for what he did for me, that I was an object of God's wrath, yet through Christ Jesus, he took on that wrath on the cross for you and I and took our sin on that cross and poured out his grace for us. And so now we get to serve Jesus. We want to have that relationship with Jesus because we understand what he first did for us. Amen? And that's the wonderful thing about serving Jesus. So Jesus shows us a life that is joyful and happy is a life that gives because we understand 
what Jesus gave up for us. It's a life that learns to take the struggles and the pain and allows Christ to work through them. And so now we have this gratitude for Jesus. And so what happens is our heart changes. Instead of just always receiving and taking, now what we want to do is we want to give. And that's the key to to contentment is how we give and how the gospel message changes our hearts of a life that maybe wants to take and receive and, and only take into myself and never give back. A life that's been changed by the message of Jesus Christ is a life that Uh, is rearranged to say, now I want to give, now I want to help other people, I want to love other people in spite of their backgrounds, in spite of whatever it might be, because that's the grace of Christ within me. So I want to read for you some words from Jesus and, and, and that has to do with contentment. Now at first, when I read this passage in Luke chapter 6, you're probably going to think, what in the world does this have to do with contentment, Pastor Barton? But it has everything to do with contentment, and I'll explain, I'll explain why. So let's look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, for verses 37 through 38. Listen to what Jesus says here. He says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others, or it will all come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Okay, so let's, let's, let's understand something here. Let, let's understand because this, this passage can be taken out of context very easily. These verses can easily be taken out of context to teach about money or how we can get more money and more money. That has nothing to do with what this verse is saying. Jesus is talking not so much about hashtag blessed, but hashtag blessing. What does it mean to be a blessing? When God has poured his blessings into your life, how are we stewarding that blessing to others. So what, what he wants us to do is he wants us to be a blessing to others. Or someone may say, well, they may take these, this verse out of context and say we're never to speak truth to someone else in their life. No, that's not what he's saying either. So what's going on here? What's going on here? Well, these verses are all about the heart, not money, not the key to get rich. In fact, it's actually a farming term. Jesus' listeners would be very familiar with what Jesus means by pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. His listeners would get this. So let's understand what's going on here. When the harvest was at hand, the crop owner would have hired hands who would pick up the harvest. But the one area that they were not to harvest was the edge of the fields. The farmer would leave that for those who were less fortunate so they could pick the unharvested crop. It actually was a a safety net for many, many people. It was a way to help those in need. If you read the the book of Ruth, you can understand that's exactly what was happening in the book of Ruth. And so what happens here is this edge of the field is left unharvested, and people who are less fortunate that needed food would come and would begin to, to harvest Um, the edges are gleaned from the edges of the field. Now, think for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. You have two types of people. You have the hired hand, and you have those 
coming because they need the food. And so they're coming with their baskets. And you've got the hired hand. And the hired hands, what are they going to do with the, the food that they're putting in their basket, the grain they're putting in their basket? If they're hired, they're just going to put enough in there because they don't want to hurt their backs. They're paid. They're hired. So they're just going to put, they're going to do their duty. They're going to do their job. But it's not going to be overflowing. It's not going to be pressed down. And it's not going to be flown in their laps. They're going to do just enough to do what they need to do to satisfy the farmer. Now, those that come in that need the food, they're going to be glad because they're gracious because of the farmer's blessing in their lives. To give to them, which wasn't rightly theirs, but out of the grace of the farmer to leave the edges of his field so that they could glean. Are you think they're going to have a different attitude? When they go in to pull in the harvest, you better believe it. So when Jesus says, when they come into the field, they got their baskets and they're excited. And they're like, oh, we get to, we're going we're gonna to be able to eat. We're going to make some nice bread. We're going to make some sweet rolls. We're going to have a good harvest here. Can I get an amen? Good sweet rolls. Those are always good. And so they're coming in. So what they're doing is when they go in for the crop, they're shaking it right? They're shaking it. They're getting as much as they can. They're pressing it down and it's running over into their lap. Why? Because not only do they know it's going to bless them, but it's going to bless their family. It's going to bless other people. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. It's not about me taking, taking, taking. It's about me saying, God, what have you given me? And how am I using your blessings to overflow into my life that I become a blessing to somebody else? That's how you break the bond of discontentment in your heart is by becoming a giver, allowing the grace of God to flow into your life. How many know that God's grace has flowed over in your life? It's pressed down. It's shaken together. It overflows into your lap. That's how much he loves us. He said, but don't let it stop with you. You be that conduit that allows my blessings to flow in and flow out because that's where the true happiness and joy comes in. I always remember when I was young, I remember a pastor teaching on giving. And, you know, for me, as somebody young, like, well, I just want to, make money and put it away and store it and blah, 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 blah. But the thing that changed in my heart about, about giving was this, is that when the pastor said, I want you to all know that your money is not your own. It's the Lord's. And he wants you to be a good steward with everything that he's given you. A light bulb went off in my head to realize it never was mine to begin with. No matter if it's a small amount or a large amount, Lord, am I being faithful with everything that you've given me? And let me tell you, we will all struggle with that the rest of our life. But it's a good reminder for us that when we remind ourselves of the, of the grace and mercy that Jesus poured out for us on that cross, when we preach the gospel to ourselves over and over and over again, that will kill discontentment in our hearts because it will line ourselves back up with the gospel message. And this is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, don't listen to these teachers. Don't allow, allow them to malign the church and pull them away from the centrality of the gospel message that it's by God's grace and grace alone that you're saved and that we have a lot to be thankful for. 
Don't allow your heart to stray and allow money to become the focus, the love of money to become the focus of all you do. God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given us, right? Amen? And he's given us so much. But he doesn't want us to hoard those things. He doesn't want us to allow those things to become the fulfillment in our lives. He wants Jesus to be that. And it's so interesting. When we begin to prioritize our lives and Jesus becomes the center and the focal point of our lives, the things that we have in our life, we enjoy so much more. Amen? I'll tell you what, I'm a lot more thankful for refrigerators now than I was five days ago, right? Like, thank you for our refrigerator. Thank you that it was cold out that we could put our food in the refrigerator. Thank you for, for us living in New York. Right? Thank you. I'm so glad. Amen. We're just tougher up here. That's all. People down south, they don't get it. We're just tougher up here. See, that's what creates this grateful heart, knowing that God is our supplier. And so I want us to remember what is your enough? What is your enough? You see, those that were gathering for the harvest, that were gleaning off the edges of the field, they knew it would bless others, pressed down and running over. They were shaking it down, knowing that it would help someone else. Lord, always impress on our hearts that what you've given us, whether small or great, can bless someone else. I've shared this story a million times, but every time I talk about contentment and giving, I always think about this woman in the country of Belize. She had nothing. She had dirt floors in her house, but she had a lot of five-gallon buckets, and we needed five-gallon buckets to pour concrete at the school we were building. And we went up to the, her door and said, you have a lot of five-gallon buckets. Can we, like, she had like 20, and that would have been great, because otherwise we'd all been dead by the end of the day, just hauling up that concrete. I said, can we buy the buckets off you? She was, no, you can have them. She didn't have much, but she had five-gallon buckets, and she was more than pleased to bless us with these five-gallon buckets. So we cleaned them all up. We did give them back to her. And we had a lot of food left over at the end of the trip, canned goods and, and just stuff. And we just came and we said, hey, can we just bless you? And we gave her all these canned goods and all this food. And she just started crying. She was, thank you so much. God has just impressed that into my mind. Because I think so many times if, if that were me or someone else here, well, yeah, you can have our bucks. How bad do you want your bucket? Oh, we need them really bad. Okay, well, normally I charge a dollar, but now they're $10, right? You know, always looking for that, always looking to up somebody, but not her. See, this is all about the heart of Jesus saying, this is how I want you to live. Jesus says, I want you to forgive. Isn't it funny how Jesus talks about forgiveness with pressed down, shaken together and running over? There's a reason for that. Because as much as we've been forgiven, we cannot hold on to our forgiveness for others. We can't categorize our giving, forgiving for who deserves it and who doesn't because none of us in this room deserve the forgiveness of God because we're sinners. But yet Jesus came anyways to give his life for us. See, Jesus says, I want you to forgive because the root of the word forgive, guess what, is give. You have to give. You have to sacrifice in order to do that. And Jesus says, I want you to give and I want you to forgive until it runs over in your life. 
until it runs over in your life. And guess what God does? He will keep pouring his grace into your life. He keeps pour, He will keep pouring his grace in your life the more you become obedient to him in those areas of forgiveness and giving. He'll keep pouring it in. He'll keep pouring it in. Do you realize that there's grace that God gives us that we don't deserve, but also the Bible speaks of grace in giving? And Paul actually talked about a church that gave out of grace. It was grace giving. It wasn't, out, it wasn't self-serving. It wasn't giving because it made, uh, of how it made me look. They gave out of God's grace for what God poured into them. Boy, I'll tell you what, I've got to speak that to me all the time because I want to be a grace giver. Not a giver because, oh, look how it makes me look or the accolades I might receive. Paul said this church and Macedonia had it right. They gave out of the grace. They had nothing to give, but they wanted to give because of the grace that was poured out into their lives. That's the heart that Jesus wants us to have. The grace that's been poured into your life is the grace that we give to others, whether it's monetary or whether it's forgiveness for the wrongs that people have done to us. See, when you give in return... Jesus says, you'll be blessed. Running over, you won't contain it. It's going to fall into your lap. You'll be happy. You'll be content. And the love of money will be broken. See, money is not evil. It's our attitude towards it that can condemn us. So whatever you have been given, enjoy it. Use it to bless others. And make sure that God has all of you. And make sure that money doesn't have you. I love what C.S. Lewis says concerning this. C.S. Lewis cuts no corners here. I love it. He just gets right to the point. He says, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to actually kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't like this next one because I don't like going to the dentist. I don't like this one, but he says, (laughs) I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but I want to have it out. Jesus wants all of us. And that's where the contentment, that's when we know he is enough. Is Jesus enough in your life? When you understand how grace changes us, it changes everything. I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, if grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. That's the grace that God will give you to give you strength, to give you a joy that nothing in this world could ever give you. What is your focus? What is the source of your joy and happiness? What are you struggling with today? What's the thing that's got you frustrated? I want to tell you this morning, Jesus wants to be your focus. He wants to be your enough today. And that's what you'll find, your joy and your happiness. 
Allow his grace not only come into your life, but allow it to flow in the way we give to others. And that's where we find God's ultimate grace and his happiness and his joy that he desires to give to us. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. I, let me just say this as your pastor. I'm very thankful for this church. You are a generous church. Let's continue to live in that grace and continue to allow grace to be our focus and continue to allow grace to be the reason why we give. Let's be a grace-giving church, a grace-forgiving church, and allow the world to see who Jesus really is. Amen? Let's continue to that to do that. So, Father God, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that you're so good. Your grace is so amazing and how you've poured into our lives. And I just pray today that we would give out of that grace that was given to us, that we would be a grace-giving church, a grace-forgiving church, God. And I pray for anyone here today that's just frustrated or has been let down by the world or their pursuits. Jesus, I thank you that you have the answer for our discontentment. May you be our all in all today. And thank you for the blessings that come with that. Help us to be good stewards with everything that you've given us and help us to realize you're the source of everything. Whether great or small, let us be faithful with what you've given us. Let us be content and thankful. Let us be a people that give out of grace. In Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. And all God's children said, amen. Can we stand? I love this hymn. We're going to sing about God's goodness and his grace and what he's done for us. Sing that and let's worship him as we close. God bless you.